Offsets, the truth. The truth is that offsets can be complex. Done right, they do indeed reduce the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Done wrong, they can be exposed as no more than greenwashing, damaging the reputations of the organisations that bought them, usually in good faith. I'm Anthony Day. Welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Wednesday the 8th of March. I promised you more detail on the carbon offset controversy, which was started by a report in the press last month. Here's an interview with someone with first-hand knowledge of the market. There's a lot of confusion uh, about low-carbon living. People are led to believe that by buying a certain sort of breakfast cereal or using a certain deodorant or some other consumer product, they're helping to save the planet. Best of all, they no longer have to feel guilty about flying if they purchase offsets. The idea of offsets is that they absorb or neutralise the greenhouse gas emitted by your flight, or your car, or even your central heating boiler. Offsetting seems to be the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's recently been increasingly associated with greenwash. Greenwash, something that looks green, but is very far from environmentally friendly. This culminated with a major report published by The Guardian, Die Zeit, and an organisation called Source Material, attacking the whole idea of offsetting, or at least the way some people manage it. My guest today is Chief Impact Officer and co-founder of Compensate, Nicholas Kaskela. Nicholas, welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, the main thrust of this report, and you were involved in drawing it up, I believe, was an attack on an organisation called Vera. Nicholas, can you ex can you start by explaining to us exactly what that organization is and what it does? Yes. So um, let me start by saying that the voluntary carbon market where Vera and Compensate and other organizations operate is very lightly um, regulated. There's very, very little regulation. And so there have been uh, some some voluntary standards have sort of been set up to be an assurance of quality on the market so that carbon credits can be reliably used by companies or individuals who want to offset their emissions. Now, VERA is probably the leading standard when it comes to these voluntary uh, voluntary standards on the market. So they um, certify credits uh, from carbon projects around the world and, and kind of give them their stamp of approval that they have uh, followed a certain methodology that VERA has, has created or has that the VERA has approved and that there have been things like uh, third-party audits and such taking place to verify that things have gone according to the methodologies that VERA has set up. It's not about one standard or one 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 uh, entity. It's more like a systemic problem that has been, or a flaw in the market where there haven't been any standards that are sufficiently good enough uh, or, not, or like the other standards, voluntary carbon market standards than VERA and certifiers as well that have pretty much the same problem. So I don't, I would hope to be able to um, say that, you know, it's uh, it's been a kind of systemic failure of the market that we haven't been able to produce good quality or the market hasn't been able to produce good quality carbon credits. The standards like that are definitely a big part of that failure. However, there are other actors involved as well. So it's been like, um, uh, well, Something I hope that the market will quickly uh, learn from and evolve and, and move forward because 
otherwise we'll never you know create the trust we need to do okay. this right okay well i mean so, what yeah. you just said is something which i'd, I'd like to <laughs> include if that's all yeah. right yeah, yeah sure right. sure yeah yeah so so you're saying you'd cast doubts on other players like uh, the gold standards and so on as well would you yes i mean what we've done is uh, when compensate was founded we um worked together with a panel of scientists leading forest and climate scientists to create our own criteria to evaluate projects that have been certified by the leading carbon standards like Vera, Gold Standard, Plan Vivo, etc. There are others as well, but those are the yes. major international carbon standards. Uh, we've been using this criteria, especially that is uh, dedicated to especially forest projects, so land use projects. And and we've been using it for, for um, well, coming up to three years now. And uh, what we've seen is that 90% of all projects certified by these leading international carbon standards fail to pass our evaluation process. Uh, so it's the same figures apply, be it Vera or gold standard. So I think it's like a larger issue of the market, not just particularly one standard. Okay. Now, if I want to emit some carbon, I go and buy a carbon credit. Now, what is there behind the carbon credit that means that it is something which I can use to offset what I'm doing? What's actually happening in the field? Yes. So if it's, um, let's say it's a nature-based credit that's based on reforestation, it could mean that some trees have been planted already some time ago and they have uh, grown to a certain extent, which means that they have sequestered a certain amount of carbon. Uh -huh. And that can be then uh, verified and, and, and uh, audited that that has actually taken place. And a project that has um, planted these trees can issue then carbon credits that can be sold on the voluntary carbon market. So, and in theory, each carbon credit is worth one ton of carbon dioxide. So if you have emitted one ton of carbon dioxide, in theory, you buy one carbon credit and you have offset your emissions. But the theory is, is, is in theory, it sounds very simple. In reality, it's much, much more complex. And the, I would say that the vast majority of carbon credits available on the voluntary carbon market uh, are really not suitable for offset claims. They are not really delivering on their promise of actually reducing or removing carbon uh, from the atmosphere. So this is what the, you found in the report, is that correct? Well, actually, Compensate, um, what we did is we uh, published a white paper a couple of years ago that several investigative journalists since then has have used uh, as a tool when they have uh, done their own investigations. And, and in that white paper, we found that about 90% of nature-based carbon projects certified by the leading carbon standards like Vera, but others as well, Gold Standard, Plan Vivo, are not suitable for offset uh, claims. So they have various issues with their climate integrity. They have, might have issues with their social impact. There are issues with biodiversity. And we believe that uh, these standards are an inf insufficient uh, guarantee of quality. There's just too much variety within the standards. So you need additional uh, layers or, or or tools to sort out the actually impactful projects from the vast majority of projects that don't create any additional impact. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to get my head around it. I mean, if somebody comes along and says, I've got a stand of trees, and these trees um, represent or have indeed absorbed this much carbon, and I'm going to sell a credit on the basis of that. Well, if you've already grown the trees, um, I suppose if they were specifically grown in order to be 
um, a carbon sequestrator, uh, and they wouldn't have been grown otherwise, then you can say, right, there is a carbon credit there. But the other problem, of course, is those trees aren't going to stand there forever. So although you've you've locked up that carbon, um, it depends very much what you do with those trees when they reach the end of their life. And a lot of trees are going to reach the end of life relatively quickly. They're not all uh, sequoias and so on. So isn't it all a bit dodgy? Yes. I think you described uh, one of the main characteristics of a good quality credit there first. That is that it's additional so that it the trees have been planted because or they wouldn't have been planted otherwise if there wouldn't have been revenue for carbon credits. So basically the, the sale of carbon credits to the voluntary carbon market is kind of was a prerequisite for those trees to be planted. But otherwise, it would have been perhaps uh, business as usual if it, if they are planted, for example, in a in a plantation fashion. So so serving the timber industry by by planting rows of of eucalyptus somewhere. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually one of the uh, uh, these plantation projects are actually quite uh, common on the voluntary carbon market. And they're super, very, very problematic mm. because of the other issue that you mentioned, which is permanence of the stored carbon. So even if you um, plant uh, eucalyptus, which is a really fast growing tree, but if you chop it down 20 years later, mm. you and most probably uh, sell it to the, the, the forest industry or it, it's been turned into pulp or paper or some other short uh, storage carbon storage project, the carbon gets released back into the atmosphere. So these projects are extremely problematic. And personally, I don't understand how they can issue carbon credits. Yeah. We would never accept any of these um, plantation type projects into our uh, portfolio because of uh, lack of additionality, because there is already an established business model where you plant trees and then cut them and sell them to to different industries yeah. and because of the very short permanence of the carbon yeah now the other thing is that um somebody will will come along and say i have a stand of trees i have my forest um if i cut it down it will release 10,000 tons of carbon into the atmosphere if you pay me i won't I won't cut it down and therefore I won't release all this carbon. And people say, oh, well, that's an offset. But the point about that surely is if they cut it down, it adds to um, the amount of carbon being emitted in the atmosphere. If they don't cut it down, it doesn't reduce it. It stops it getting bigger, but it doesn't reduce it. And what we're aiming for is net zero. We're aiming for um equilibrium we're aiming for not adding to the carbon in the atmosphere and simply by not cutting a tree down you are not actually having any effect surely but yet again the what what the united nations calls red redd which is uh, reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation they call that carbon offsets and surely that is not logical mm. yes you explain the um what are called avoided emissions from deforestation yeah. projects and you're right, avoided emissions projects are not suitable for reaching net zero um, because they are not removing carbon from the atmosphere. They are preventing emissions from happening and actually quantifying their climate impact is extremely complex. And, and uh, there are so many uncertainties involved in them that, uh, for example, compensate, co concentrates on, on carbon removal projects. We have previously looked into these uh, Red Plus projects. And we have evaluated over 70 of them uh, with our scientific criteria created with some leading forest scientists. And what 
has happened is that only three of those 70 projects have passed our our evaluation so only three well we deem that only three would be suitable for making any kind of offset claim and actually right now we only have one of these red plus projects because we're trying to phase out from them completely and move exclusively to these carbon removals which as you mentioned would be the uh, credit type that is uh, required for reaching a, a net zero state um, red plus is a very very problematic project type uh, and it's also the biggest project type in terms of volumes of credits available on the voluntary carbon market and 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 these invest recent investigations for example by by the guardian and the insight and unearthed and others have revealed uh you know i would say fundamental problems with red plus methodologies and problems that we have also been very vocal about for for several years as well i i would really love to have um, mechanisms to uh, fund protecting our valuable carbon sinks in in tropical areas especially where the red plus projects operate but creating carbon credits that are then used by uh, companies for example for different climate claims like, like carbon neutrality is not really um, not the way to go to fund these projects we need to come up with other mechanisms other ways of, of, of uh, supporting the protection of tropical forest then creating uh, carbon credits that are like you I think you used the term very dodgy <laughs> uh, that's not the right way to fund these projects Okay. Now tell me about carbon removal. Is that things like uh, direct air capture, uh, carbon capture and storage? And of course, growing new trees is carbon removal to some extent. What sort of yes. uh, projects are you involved in on that side? Yes. So carbon removal is where you either with the help of nature, uh, use nature-based uh, processes to remove existing carbon from the atmosphere, or you have these technological approaches, like you mentioned, direct air capture. Um, Given the urgency of the climate crisis, I think we need these nature-based solutions, uh, even though they are not perfect. And, and one of the uh, issues with them is the low permanence. So we cannot guarantee that trees will remain standing for uh, hundreds of, of years. Mm -hmm. While in, in, in other more uh, sort of tech-based approaches, we can actually uh, guarantee a longer permanence if the carbon is stored in places where, where it's not released back into the atmosphere. However, many of these technological approaches like direct air capture are not ready to scale yet. Uh, if you count all of the direct air capture facilities around the world that are already doing it at the moment, the amount of carbon they remove from the atmosphere is equivalent to just a few seconds of all of humanity's emissions. So they, and many of them are um, extremely uh, expensive and and sort of sold out as well they're they're not producing the amount of volumes that is necessary so i believe that we need to um innovate more and we need to um, support these projects but um, at the same time we need to use the solutions we have today for carbon removal and their nature is actually the way to to scale things we can use mangrove restoration we can use um reforestation or afforestation and we can build uh, mechanisms to mitigate the risks that these projects have, like for example, through overcompensation, where we uh, don't make an uh, exact equivalency between one ton of emissions and, and one carbon credit. So there are ways to kind of um, work around the imperfections of the, of, of the or the flaws of the nature-based solutions. But I would argue that we we need them today because they're the only means we can scale today. Okay, but isn't offsetting 
really or should it not be a very last resort uh, i mean isn't it irresponsible to persuade people that offsetting is a magic bullet which will eliminate all the harm from business as usual uh, surely we've got to approach it from the point of view that business as usual is not sustainable and we've got to stop these emissions at source rather than saying well we'll just carry on as normal and we'll just keep looking for ways to try and offset it which you've just admitted uh, are not yet adequate yes um yes offsetting is the last resort but it's also something that i think we have to do yeah. um it's uh, like imagine if i if i were to walk through a park every day and i would throw trash into the park mm -hmm. um and then suddenly I decided to throw, only throw trash there every other day, which would be equivalent to having my emissions, right? Yeah. Right. I would still be destroying the park, right? Yeah. So why don't I pay up to clean up after the after up after myself as well? So I think you know it it's it's the last tool you need to take you have in your toolbox to fight climate change, but it's also a necessary one and, and one that I think as long as we're causing harm as companies or individuals or other organizations, we should be liable for the harm that we cause, and we should be, you know, required to clean up after ourselves. It's obviously the f <laughs> better not to make a mess in the first place, and that's the. No I mean, radically radical um, decarbonization is the primary way to fight the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. But we're at a point when that's no longer enough. Another way to look at it, if you would imagine that atmosphere being a, a bathtub yeah. and the water in the bathtub being the level of carbon dioxide now we've had the tap on for decades or centuries as humanity so just and and it's reached a level where the water is already overflowing it's flowing over the edges of the of the of the bathtub and causing vast amount of damage already today so it's no longer enough to slightly turn off that tap we also need to drain the tub from the excess water and the same thing with the atmosphere we surpassed safe levels of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere back in the late 80s, 1980s. So we have gigatons of, 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 of carbon dioxide that needs to be removed from the uh, atmosphere. And, and the carbon market is one way of, of scaling that carbon removal that will be necessary and is already necessary today. It's not a perfect solution, but it's one where I think we need to look past, uh, you know. Yeah. Sort of, and yet, so, yeah, we, yeah. We, we are still emitting um, uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and at an increasing rate. So it's it's running. I mean, the the offset industry is running like mad, but it's it's going to be really really difficult to catch up, isn't it? Yes, um, but I'm I've been doing this for now for around four years, and I've seen a huge change in the way, um, like different climate standards for uh, for companies especially like mm -hmm. the science-based targets and other ISO standards etc sort of uh, put they put offsetting in the right place as the last resort um, they require for example the science-based targets which is probably one of the leading climate standards for large for companies at the moment to reach net zero on a company level you need to decarbonize by 90 to 95 percent and only the remaining five to ten percent can be um, neutralized through uh, carbon removals yeah so I think you know that's that's the ratio that we should be looking at sort of nine nine ninety percent uh, uh, emission reductions but that still leaves that uh, ten percent and I would argue that also 
while you're on your pathway to net zero, let's say your target for net zero is 2040 or 2050, you're still causing a huge amount of damage through the emissions you're emitting today, like along, even if you're committed to decarbonizing radically. So that's that's not enough. You still need to take responsibility for those emissions you're causing today, tomorrow, next year, and the year after. Right. Now, some very big names, some very big brands, big corporations have used offsetting, uh, which has been uh, certified by Vera and others. Do you see any signs that the report that we spoke about has led any of these corporations to question the uh, veracity, the the correctness of, of these um, offsets? Uh, and do you think it's going to lead to any sort of change in the market? Yes, I do believe it will change. Uh, I sincerely hope it will change as well. I think um, many companies, I mean, it, this has been a very small market, even though there's a lot of media attention towards this market. Um, the whole value of the whole voluntary carbon market back in 2019, when we were starting things with Compensate, was only $300 million. Right. Nowadays, it's about $2 billion. Wow. So we're still talking about a very small market. Uh, uh, and I think many of the companies that are kind of entering the market or have entered the market in, in, in recent years have done it for the first time. And they have perhaps trusted existing standards and trusted them in good faith. Uh, they, they didn't know any better, perhaps. They didn't have a uh, uh, sustainability professional working for them that could have vetted the project themselves. But they'll learn from these mistakes. They don't want to end up on the front page of The Guardian being accused of greenwashing because then, first of all, all of the money you spent on carbon offset is completely gone to waste. Mm -hmm. Plus, the reputational damage is huge. And these companies are under more and more pressure from internal stakeholders, employees to 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 not to greenwash, but also investors, the media. Um, so really, um, I think, you know, when companies start demanding higher quality, the market will have to react. And, right. and right now, there's also already a scarcity of good quality credits available on the market. That's one of the biggest bottlenecks in the market that, that we have huge demand already locked in for the next decades because of companies setting these net zero targets and they need good quality carbon removals to reach those targets but at the same time the quality of the uh, uh of the available credits on the market is very low so there's a big discrepancy there so i think now is the opportunity to start creating those high quality projects because the the demand for them is already high Nicholas, that's been a very interesting insight into the offsets market. So thank you very much for, for sharing your ideas with the Sustainable Futures Report. Thank you. It was my pleasure. My thanks to Nicholas Kaskiela, Chief Impact Officer and Co-Founder of Compensate. Food for thought, a complex situation. Well, that's it for this week. I'm beginning to get ideas for next week with the help of friends, patrons and a number of books. What are billionaires doing about the climate crisis? You might be surprised. How can we cope with immigrants when the numbers of refugees swell to tens of millions? Are we ourselves the true denialists? Just a few thoughts which I may explore next time. Until then, have a great week. Thanks for listening. And if you're a patron, thank you for your continuing support. 
And of course, if you're not a patron, you can sort that out at patreon.com slash sfr. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. Until next time. Thank you.